0: Hello and welcome to the Do One Better podcast in philanthropy, sustainability, and social entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Alberto Leggi from London. Please click that subscribe button and follow us if you're not doing so already, and tell your friends, family, and colleagues about the show as well. Makes a huge difference indeed. Today we are talking about using the power of business to drive lasting change for the 1.3 billion people around the world who are living with a disability. And we have a wonderful guest on the show, Caroline Casey, who is the founder and key troublemaker, perhaps, but she's the founder of the Valuable 500 and their chair, by the way, is Paul Paulman, who many of you will know, who used to run Unilever. They collaborate and connect with uh, 500 of the world's most influential global businesses in support of disability inclusion. And they are really a powerhouse in terms of bringing together the business community, In order to help this topic and uh and bring attention to it and transform the landscape so without further ado caroline a big heartfelt welcome onto the do one better podcast today
1: well it is great to be with you thanks a million for having us on looking forward to this conversation
0: excellent so why don't we kick off by learning a little bit about the valuable 500 what's that all about
1: well in principle um the valuable 500 goes along the concept if we can make business good we can change the world right? And for us, the area that we are really passionate about is disability. And the Valuable 500 is a global collective of 500 companies and their CEOs who are innovating for disability inclusion. Um, And that's it very simply. And actually, we're the second biggest CEO collective in the world after UN Global Compact, which is incredible. And I don't mind playing second fiddle to 14,000 CEOs. Um, And what's very unique about us is we're really trying to use the power and an influence of a business collective with CEO accountability to drive systemic change for an issue that has been outside business for far too long. And that's for the 1.3 billion people and their families who have disability in them. And to see in value their their potential as talent um, for insight and innovation as customers and suppliers. And that's really what we're here to do. It's, It's not rocket science. It's really about getting the attention and the will and and a, and a way to do it, and that's what we're doing together. as five hundred.
0: Excellent. And now your partners—they're—they're—they're they're, they're quite diverse and really powerful forces within the business community. Give us a little bit of an insight into who they are and and how you've managed to convene them. And uh, as I mentioned uh, at the start, Paul Pullman, I know is is uh, is the chair of the Valuable Five Hundred. That possibly is helpful in order to attract those big corporates. Give us a little bit of insight into who your partners are
1: well first of all the power comes in the collective i i, I and i'm not saying that just to be political I'm, i really mean it um change can't happen with one amazing ceo or one amazing company it just can't it needs a collective so the power is in, in the collective of it but we very specifically chose to work with the world's most powerful brands because they move and can shift and change things in society through their CEOs that maybe politicians and policymakers can't, it takes years to do, right? So when you see a very powerful brand working together, and that's what we we went to go with, and it was companies who employed over a 1,000 people because we saw the greatest lack of good practice on disability business inclusion was in big companies. So we've got some really big ones. Like we've got, you know, the Googles and the Microsofts and the Apples and the Deloitte and the... Barclays and all the big kind of names that you know. And just so you're aware, that collective itself represents 22 million employees around the world, which is 41 headquartered com- countries, but we're operational everywhere and in 64 sectors. Um, so we're kind of big and we've got 8 trillion in revenue power, right? And we haven't even talked about the supply chains. But your question about how did we do it? I'm a hustler. You know, I'm an Irish hustler. I'm a daughter of an entrepreneur. And the passion and the vision for this, I just wouldn't let it go. And I knew that, I believe truly that if you change one influential mind, you can change many. And Paul was our first. Paul Poman was our first. And at the time, he was the CEO of Unilever. So if Paul invited CEOs into a room, guess what? They came. And that's showing the power of it. So in trying to make something like this happen, don't try and change everybody immediately. Go for one who really believes in you is going to stick with you. And then the second big thing in how we did it to get these very powerful companies is we launched on the main stage of the World Economic Forum. Not this, not a special inspirational stage, but on the main stage. And we did it with five of the world's most influential CEOs. So we kind of marked our cards right from the outset. We were here to do business with the very best, with leaders, and nothing else would do. And it, but i got to tell you, <laughs> we built it in two and a half years, but it wasn't easy. You don't see the scratch marks on the walls. It
0: was
1: <laughs> It was really hard.
0: So obviously this is a podcast and people are listening to it. They're not necessarily looking at you on video the way I am. But even if they were, they wouldn't be able to tell that you might have a disability. But you do. And tell us a little bit about your personal story and, and how that drove you to start and to think about the Valuable 500.
1: Well, okay, the, my story, it's personal. I mean, a lot of people talk about my passion, you know, and I think I'm a, a person that that kind of is driven from the heart. Um, and if it comes from my heart, I'll keep going until I drop. So this point of creating this collective of 500 in such a short time, it was driven from a really personal experience of really wanting to be part of a world that enables and allows everybody to be who they are, be free to be their unique self and to be part of a collective that respects difference. And that's really hard, you know? Um, and I, I am astounded that even in 2022, we ran some research um, around the Valuable 500 to discover that 7% of our CEOs had a lived experience of disability. And four out of five of them were not disclosing it. They were covering it. They were hiding it. And that's really personal to me because it was 20 years ago when I was a management consultant with Accenture um, that I finally came out of the disability closet. Um, I have a condition called ocular albinism, um, which means I'm registered legally blind. It's also a skin condition and a, a hair condition, all those things. But it really affects my vision. And I only have about one and a half feet vision. And I had been too frightened to tell Accenture that I had this condition when I was applying for the job because I couldn't see anybody like me in the business. And I, I presumed that if I told them about my condition, they would choose somebody else. And what's even more extraordinary about my story, I found by, out by accident. At 17, that I had this condition, even though I was born with it. And the reason I found out by accident is because my parents consciously did not tell me. And they consciously didn't tell me because they wanted to give me the best chance to survive. And when I discovered at 17, I just didn't understand it. And at 17, you're a kid, like you're looking around to have fun and parties. And I certainly didn't want to attach a label of disability to myself. So I went into that closet for 11 years. And what is extraordinary about that. It is 20 years ago I came out of that closet and still we see leaders hiding in it. That shows you the scale of the problem, Alberta. That's, that's the issue because so many people are like, why is, why is disability on the edges of business? And I think it comes right down to still fear of acceptance.
0: I was gonna ask you about that because there is this sort of blanket of silence as it were, both I guess from those CEOs, uh who even have the lived experience of a disability and don't really acknowledge it and conceal it, but also the workforce and many individuals who are going through uh, you know, many steps to try to avoid disclosing the fact that they have a disability. And many disabilities aren't something that people could detect by simply looking at someone. What is driving that? Is it, and I guess twofold, one from the CEO's perspective, are they concerned about litigation and costs and extra burdens that might be imposed on their company and the workforce? Are they concerned that perhaps in such a competitive labor market, they will be jeopardized if they disclose their disability?
1: Well, firstly, let's go to your issue about invisible disability. And it's a shocking figure. Um, 80% of disability of that 1.3 billion is invisible. So if somebody saw me talking to you right now, they would have no idea that I am registered blind and I could get away with that. But things like dyslexia, dyspraxia, mental health, acquired illnesses, sometimes with you can, you can have MS and nobody will even know. And the other issue to understand is that 80 percent of disabilities acquire between the ages of 18 and 64, which means only 20 percent of us are born with it. And then I'm just going to throw another stat out is every single one of us in our lifetime will live with disability. Now, why, to your question, are the CEOs hiding or covering? And why are our employees? And it's for the same reason, all of us for the same reason. For fear of not belonging, for fear of not succeeding, for fear of not being accepted, for fear that our disability will define us, that you will not look beyond my sight and see the human that I am and the potential I have to offer, that our unconscious bias and how we understand disability will shade your way that you're going to see me. And that is what what makes us very human is that we see the same fear in our CEOs that we see in our employees. But who's the leader here, right? And the Valuable 500 is created because it believes in the power of business but it believes in the power of business leaders. Leaders make choices and those choices create the culture that a human being who's working in the business can come forth and say who they are. Now, if a CEO is not saying that, how on earth do we hope that our employees will self-ID and speak about it? And then we have to feel that fear. Is litigation an issue? Yes, it is. I mean, you can't deny it. There's People are fearful. that if you know if they don't do something right or they bring somebody with a disability into their business that they will be litigated against and same with customers but you see this is all based on fear right like it's about communication it's about understanding how can we find a way to create inclusive environments in as customers and as employees and within community rather than pitching up the forks and, and going against each other It's an uncomfortable conversation, but unless we speak about this, unless we get this out there, and we do not need disability to be charity. We do not need your charity. Charity is part of the problem. And if we are going to end the disability inequality crisis, we need business to stand up and see the extraordinary, and there is an extraordinary opportunity for business that will deliver to their bottom line, but it will deliver to society's bottom line, by including people with disabilities in their family, which is 53% of our global economy. I mean, that's a huge, right?
0: Mm. And you're mentioning about business, you know, business in many respects is taking the lead on the sustainability agenda. Um, But I was really interested, when I spoke with you a couple of months back, one of the things that came up in that conversation was that initially when you were engaging with the philanthropic world or the world of philanthropic foundations, you didn't really receive the warm reception that you were thinking you might. And actually, you had more traction with the business community than you did with the foundations. Uh, give us what, what happened there.
1: Well, if you could see my face, you know I'm smiling because people find this hard to believe. I mean, to make the Valuable 500 happen, I mean, it's a very well-known story. I had to remortgage my house, no joke, um, because no philanthropists felt they should invest in a company that was trying to change business because in a philanthropist's mind, it was like, well, why would we give you money when business has the money? <laughs> like, the point is, we have to help and support business, see their responsibility, see the opportunity, because at the moment, business see disability as something medical or governmental or charity, you know, so, they, so you've got to help me do that. So yeah, you're right. And, you know, it has been the hardest part of the journey of creating disability business inclusion is funding. Um, and I mean, it has nearly broken me down the middle. I mean, mean, I'm a hustler and I'm a troublemaker for sure. And that's been good because I've just kept going and I will do everything, well, pretty much everything. There is a line. Um, But what was one of the most extraordinary moments for me is when the Nippon Foundation um, came in to fund us for the second stage of the Valuable 500. So it was, a, you know, we, our first phase was to gather 500 companies. And the second stage now is to activate them for change. And that's the really big one, because that's where we start seeing the system change. You can imagine a murmuration of c- companies going in the same way, doing multiply, multiplying their actions a thousand times. That's where we see the change. And so the Nippon Foundation gave us five million, which is the biggest ever grant for disability business inclusion. And it came at a very good time. But it, it did force me, Alberto, as well, into, because we weren't sort of the darling of foundations or the darling of, of philanthropy, um, we have to ha- we've had to be very creative. And so we've had to work with business to invest in us. And so we've had to learn and know how business works. And I think that's made us very agile. And we take nothing for granted. And we really work like a scrappy startup. You know, like looking for funding. I mean, mm. there's there's no sitting back on your laurels. You know,
0: that's great. And the business community and understanding how the business community works. Um, an interesting thing about the Valley Bill 500 is also that you're you're doing and undertaking quite a bit of research. Um, these companies that are that you're convening that are committing to to do more. Um, one of the bits of research that you did reveals that there is a bit of a disparity between companies' cultural commitments to disability inclusion and their practical actions to fulfill them. What's the state of affairs today?
1: Well, first of all, data, 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 data. I mean, isn't, you know, I feel like in the last few years, we've learned a few things. The word intersectionality, you're on mute, and data. I mean, these are words that in the last three (laughs) weeks, three years, I just feel like I constantly hear but data is what drives progress forward. and what is so powerful, if you can imagine the valuable 500, its greatest power is in the data that it holds for us. So you know, once a year we go out and get the valuable truth. and we talk to our companies in identifying where the barriers are, where the opportunity are, what's happening, what are the trends so that we can focus our energy to help them where they need help. And the greatest area that they need help on right now, is, well, there's two kind of key areas. One is around this issue of self-ID. 67% of our companies, our valuable 500 companies, do not know the makeup of their employees. Because with litigation and legislation, because you can't, you're not allowed to ask around protected characteristics. So that's one huge problem. And the second big problem, is, which is also cultural, is, okay, so we want to do stuff, but I want to do it. I'm all, I'm all gung-ho, Right. But how do I do it? And if I ask how do I do it, do I look stupid? So there's this fear of not doing enough and then not even knowing what to do, and then maybe being frightened to ask because should they not know? And that is the most important element of the Valuable 500. This is a collective learn from each other, share with each other, help each other. None of you are experts, none of you are supposed to have it all right. My greatest concern on progress in any issue today is that when people are trying, they get shut down too quickly. Nobody's gonna get this right. And can I just say on disability, nobody will ever get it always right. But when people get it wrong, we have to use it as a moment to learn, not a moment to castigate. And it's the biggest problem with disability that people are so fearful of offending, of causing somebody pain, or looking stupid, and that's what we're seeing in our valuable 500 companies so can you can you hear what we're trying to create as a a global family, I guess to try to take that tension out so instead of tension, we can put in progress and we can work together and what's so wonderful again, I just have to keep under, underlining it is if you've got the CEOs encouraging the business to do that, that's the magic
0: hmm. Hmm. Now these CEOs and the, the the sheer scale of the companies that you've convened and who are supporting you, uh, it necessarily means that they're operating across the globe. I mean, they have markets in you know every corner of the planet. Uh, the regulatory environment is very different across different different segments, uh, different geographic regions, and I imagine the realities look very different on the ground say in the Nordics, Scandinavia, uh, Sweden uh, versus other, other parts of the world. Um, how does it actually translate into reality in a market that's developing that isn't regulated where, where the labor market is just under more strain, I guess, and individuals might be less protected?
1: Well, a great example is, if I was born in several countries in Africa with my condition, my life is at risk. People with albinism are killed because we're seen as freaks of nature. So your point is so relevant. How disability turns up in different countries and different cultures is a huge issue for our global companies. And so I said, you know, I was talking about 41 headquartered companies in different countries, you know, but we operate in every country, across the world, through them. So how do you do that? Well, it's that, what do we call a global thing that we need to do? So you have to have the intentionality from the top of the business. Like, look at Satya Nadella in Microsoft. He leads the intention and the value of inclusive business. How that is adapted, he gives the freedom within the business for them to to work to that value set, to work to that ambition, to work to that mission within the context of the country. And I think, I'll be honest, Alberta, it's one of the reasons or one of the, I was just going to say, excuses to why companies haven't taken this on, because it's so different in different parts of the world. And so our answer to all of our companies, and this is where we're learning, like Carmine DeSibio in EY, He's a great, I mean, I I would speak to him probably more often than anybody, and he really believes he needs to set the tone from the top and give the autonomy regionally and locally. And that's why with the Valuable 500, you have our 500 companies, yes, but we also have this thing called the Valuable Directory, and that's 77 organizations placed all around the world who are disability inclusion experts. And that's where our companies can talk to them in the context of their own country. And we're also setting up this year a territories program so that we will convene our companies around each other in different parts of the world from a language perspective, from a context perspective, from a cultural perspective. So we have to learn how to be local as well, but we have to encourage our businesses. You won't, certainly if you have a view from New York, it is not going to be the same in Mongolia.
0: No. Yeah fascinating you mentioned Carmine DeCibio who heads up EY
1: yeah
0: uh, he's been on the show he's been on the do one better podcast before and and so has Paul Pullman um, and I have to say it wasn't easy getting either one of them on the show but they both came and, and it was they they made for, for great uh, wonderful guests but I guess my question to you is how did you go about that initial uh, connection with Paul Pullman uh, and then subsequently, the other CEOs, because I'm sure many people are, are wondering, how, what's the magic sauce? How did you go about that?
1: Well, look, the secret sauce um, is not an answer you want to hear, but I'm, I'll tell you the secret sauce. I honestly believe the valuable 500 and the connection with CEOs came from head and heart. You know, everybody says that, you know, you got to make the business case. Business case for gender business case for diversity, business case for race. And when you think about that, do you know how mad that seems? The business case for humans? We're just labeling humans. And I can't tell you how many of the CEOs. So we have what we call iconic CEOs. So we've got 15 now, 15, can you believe it, of our biggest brands who are helping us provide solutions for the 500 community, whether it's around culture, leadership, customer research, reporting, and representation. And and with each of these companies, they financially support us, but their CEO, their global CEO, meets with us twice a year. And what is so interesting, every time we have the opportunity to meet them, they say that, yeah, yeah, yes to the data, yes to the case, but they're all there because they're a human being, because they're a mother or a father, a sister or a brother, they are humans. And when you tap into the heart of that human and then validate the work, okay, validate it with the data, then you're, that's where you're winning. So how we've got this is we didn't ask them to leave their humanity at the door. We said, be the human And then we'll validate the work with the data and the stats. So we're at this intersection of head and heart, stats and story. And the story of how I got Paul Pullman is I rode a horse across Columbia for five and a half weeks to the main stage of One Young World. In search of the CEO, who was going to be our chairman. And I always wanted Paul Pullman. And believe it or not. I never got to meet him, but he was the chair of One Young World. And I wanted to start this campaign at One Young World because I believe in the power of young people. And Paul was not supposed to be arriving until a Saturday. And I knew I was going to miss him. But anyway, I went on the stage on Friday
0: hmm.
1: and I against all the odds. And I was told not to. I stood on the stage and I said, I'm looking for 500 Paul Pomans. I wish I could find one. And I'm not joking. This is the magic. He happened to arrive early. He decided to be come to the event. And as I was saying that, he walked through the door. It was not a setup. And that's how I met Paul. So what I want to say about this, it's a very long story to say. It's not always about the hardwiring. It's often when you're trying to make big change happen, you know, you've run a foundation. It's tapping often into that magic and the humanity. But you have to have the hardwiring as well.
0: I love it. Now, the business community, and we touched on this a little bit earlier, in many respects, is taking that lead within with regards to the sustainability agenda. And I think part of it is because they have that visibility into the front lines of what's happening. So if you're going to look at how do you decarbonize one million hotel rooms, you could speak to Keith Barr, who runs Intercontinental Hotels, and he could give you better insight than a government official who is simply saying, we need to be net zero by 2050. I mention this because I'm wondering, how do these CEOs who are who have visibility into the front lines, who have different industry dynamics, how do they get that insight about how to handle and address issues with regards to disability and inclusion within their specific industries, how do they grab that and then say to you or to their peers in other sectors, this is what we've found um, you'd probably find it interesting and what have you found uh, as well what's that mechanism look like
1: well the second part the second part of that question is the easier one to answer because look we are set up as a collaboration or a collective of 500 whose essence is to share and so we convene our companies around topics industry territories that's our job and actually we also are launching it's called the digital hub at the moment because we haven't given its name but it's our, our full online home where all of that sharing can happen. And that, it's the first of its kind in the world, by the way. So, it, I mean, that's really exciting. So the, the, the way in which we can help them collaborate, that's the easy bit. But you're, the question first that you're asking is the one they all want to know, how? How do we do this? And actually, they do want, you know, toolkits and cheat sheets. And you turn around and say, no, that doesn't work and you know your industry better than anybody. So this is what we invite them to do. How did you do it for the environment? How did you do it for race? What did you do? It's no different. These are some of the most intelligent people in the world. We're giving them a problem. We're here to help them. Our first point of call for any business is first of all, talk to your own industry peers. What are you doing? That's the first one. Secondly, go into your business, right? What do you think on disability? Because guess what? You most likely have 12% of your employee base has a disability, because that's what we've worked out around the 80% is invisible. And people are convening around it. Mostly you'll have an ERG group. So go into the business. Thirdly, go to your consumers. You know, this is, or go to an expert. This isn't rocket science, is it, Alberto? It's just, okay. We've got to find something out. How did we do it before? Then we're going to do it for disability. But it's the intention behind it that needs to happen. What can we learn from the other things that we have garnered? But what we will definitely say that works is when companies in the same industry with the same issue come together to share. That's when it moves faster than anything. And that, So that is better, quicker, faster. That's what the Valuable 500 is. We'll help you. We'll put you together so you can work out what helps. The tourism industry is a great example. It's interesting you just talked about hotels. The tourism industry is where, oh my gosh, because they are so dealing with with the issue of disability. Like if you can imagine, from the time somebody leaves a house or a home to go into a hotel, or you know, they can share and learn from each other and make it much easier. And and that's the exciting part when we see the industry collaboration. Mm.
0: And it's interesting that you do have um, various participants from the same industry who are in everyday life, competitors, but in this case, collaborative.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm very excited about that. You know that you know the biggest, we have 77 of our valuable 500 companies are from the financial sector. Okay. Can you believe that? Do you know why? Now, think about this. Because they want to get customers and keep them throughout their life cycle. Mm. And they have acknowledged that if from cradle to grave, they know that people have lives. And through live, we we can acquire disability or different life experiences so they've been leading on that and they're very willing to share to a point and then they get uh, you know and then they go no that's enough um but the best the best example of this was on mobile world congress mm-hmm. in february where we had google and apple and microsoft three of our iconics on the main stage of mobile world congress talking about accessibility now so it's sort of like competitive collaboration. And so they're gonna to collaborate to a point and then they go, actually, do you know what, Alberto? I know we've done our job when companies start competing on this yeah. and they don't want to collaborate so much. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, we've done it. We've won. That's when I know we're good.
0: What's, um, what's the world look like for you if we're having a coffee in 2030, the target year for the Sustainable Development Goals? And we're looking back. What would you like to have transpired over those uh, eight years? Well,
1: actually 2030 is our deadline. Um, there's an expression the disability community use. Nothing about us without us. And that basically is saying, please do not design things. Please do not put policies in place without the voice of disability. And there's a wonderful woman called Yasmin LaRoche in Canada. She's in Canadian government. And she's shortened it, and she says, nothing without us. So what does it look like in 2030? For me, in business, what it looks like is that we see disability, people with disabilities at board level, in C-suite, throughout the business. We see disability normalised throughout the supply chains. We see that it is strategically included like anything else. We will see that the unemployment figures of people with disabilities have gone down. We will see that people are self-IDing and talking about their disability and it's not a hidden dirty secret. We will see representation of people with disabilities in front and behind the cameras. We will see the right photography and imagery of people with disabilities in our company annual reports. We will see that the barriers for consumers are removed. It is currently in our FTSE 100 a third of our FTSE 100 companies still do not have accessible websites. I believe accessibility should be right across the board and mandated. So they're the kind of things that we need to see. But what is the most important, what would make me very happy is that that, that companies will compete on disability. Yes, I've said that because I do believe it's a differentiator, but that disability will be walking the corridors of power, that in every piece of research that we do globally that impacts our just under 8 billion of us, that disability will be there. If we do that, and if business has done that, yeah, well, then I can go retire to some really cool island, but we aren't going to do that with 500. So in 2025, we have to move from 500 to how many? Is it to 5 million? Because we have 213 million companies in the world. So we're only at the beginning. And Alberta, remember, to get 500, we asked 3,000.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So they, we have a far way to go. So we've got to use that power of that 500. If we want to get disability walking in the corridors of power, we have got to work together, hard and fast, and not compete disability with anything else. But let disability be part of inclusion, be in part of sustainability. Reminding ourselves, you will never have sustainability without inclusion, and you will never have inclusion without disability. Mm. That's an inclusion delusion. Mm.
0: Now, if a CEO is listening to this episode right now, therefore, based on what you've just said, they should not be dissuaded by the fact that it's the valuable 500 and you already have 500 companies.
1: Well, uh, first off, where we do keep ourselves to the promise of being accountable, we have asked companies privately to leave if they're not doing what they said they were going to do. We don't shame them because nothing about what we do is about shaming. But unless people are holding... We have a waiting list of over 52 companies right now. So there is appetite. But until 2025, we are holding 500. And we're working very closely with that 500. But in 2025, we will be asking our 500 to use their supply chains and their partners to bring us to 5 million. So if a CEO is listening today, yes, you can be in touch with us. Yes, you can get onto that waiting list. Yes, we have fine loads of ways we can work with you. But we have another two and a half years. And we will be going from, as I said, 500 to 5 million. And there's lots of ways to do it. I mean, we're constantly approached on, can I set up a chapter in Latin America, which we would love? Yes, you can. But right now, our job is to focus, 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 focus on 500.
0: I love the fact that you have this little bit of a waiting list. Uh, which I think now is going to entice even more demand. <laughs>
1: no, and we really do. We really have it. I can't believe it.
0: Tell me, before we wrap up, what's the key takeaway that you'd love for the audience to keep in mind after they finish listening to today's episode?
1: The tagline for the Valuable 500 is disability is our business. So that's the business we're in. But this is what I want people to hear. Disability is all of our business. This isn't a group of people aside from you. You are part of this group. We all will be. And remember, you don't have to be Richard Branson to make change happen. You have a voice and you're part of the business ecosystem. Use it simply to ask a question. Use it.
0: Perfect. And on that note, Caroline, thank you very much for joining us on the Do One Better podcast today. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. And I have to say also you've given me a lot of ideas about um, future episodes that I'd like to have around this topic because uh, there's just so many different angles that we haven't covered and we only had half an hour. But thank you very much. It's been a thoroughly enjoyable and informative uh, interview and I I appreciate you taking the time to, uh, to join us today. Thanks
1: a I loved it. I could have talked to you forever. I want to interview you now.
0: (laughs) Let's put that in the diary. Be well. Perfect. And that's a wrap. Thanks very much for joining us today on the Do One Better podcast. You've been listening to a great chat with Caroline Casey, founder of The Valuable 500. For information about this episode and more than 150 interviews with remarkable thought leaders in the world of philanthropy, sustainability, and social entrepreneurship, just visit our website at Liji.org. That's L-I-D-J-I.org. Please click that subscribe button and follow us if you haven't done so already. And uh, do leave us a rating and a review as well. It helps other people to find this show. Thanks so much for tuning in today and I'll catch you next week.